want to shift gears. Okay. Last week I shared with you about the realities of harvest and the principle of sowing and reaping that existed from the foundations of creation. Lord had spoken in Genesis chapter 1 that everything will produce fruit or bear fruit or multiply according to its own kind. And that principle applies throughout history to this day as to the reality of everything that we experience. We are living the fruit of what has been sown before us, either by us, by our generations, by the society that we live in. Ultimately, we are living, we are out of relationship with God as the standard normal human condition Because we have born, we are continuing to bear the fruit of Adam and Eve's sin. Does that make sense? We are sinners, humans are sinners, not because we sin, but because we have inherited the fruit of their original sin. Okay? That should make you go, oh, I'm glad it wasn't me. No, not quite. Uh, That should make us realize that we have a nature that we have inherited, and now everything that we do comes out of that nature. So, keep that in the back of your mind. Because what I want to look at is some scriptures in the New Testament, and I've made a joke of it many times, and I've told you that my favorite book is the book of Genesis. And that's not a joke, it's a reality, it is my favorite book, because in it, are all the foundations that we need to be able to understand the rest of the story. Without an understanding of the Old Testament, we really don't have a solid base for our understanding and our faith in the New Testament. Does that make sense? A lot of times in the church, we focus so much on the Gospels and on the writings of the Apostles that we miss the reality that they don't stand on their own, but their foundation is that which we call the Old Testament. So Paul writes to Timothy, and he says these words to him. In chapter 3 of 2 Timothy, Paul is writing to his spiritual son. So keep in the back of your mind, sowing and reaping, reproduction according to its own kind, Sunflower seeds will only produce sunflowers. Humans will only produce humans. Keep that in the back of your mind. So spiritually speaking, Paul will reproduce someone who is like him. If Paul wasn't functioning in his Paul anointing, he would not be able to produce others like him. But he was functioning in his Paul anointing. If he was functioning as a Peter, he would be producing Peters. Does that make sense? So... That's a great responsibility for each one of us because each one of us produce according to our own kind. 
So in my home, my children, 30 years later, are beginning to say the jokes and catch themselves doing the silly things that they would groan about that dad was doing because they're my children. Have you caught yourself doing that with your own parents? I'm so mom. I'm so dad. Why? Is it just environment? Could be. Is it genetic? Possibly. We don't know, but there is an element of reproduction that exists within the social fabric of humanity. So when Paul is writing to this, he's writing to a person that earlier on in his passage, in his writing, refers to him as my spiritual son. So there is a relationship of father and son between Paul the apostle and Timothy the pastor, or the, and some would actually call him the apostle of the church in Ephesus. And we sometimes refer to this letter and the one before it as the pastoral letters of Paul. But I believe that they were not only pastoral, but they were apostolic letters of Paul to, a, to an apostle that was growing up in his function. Okay, so far? So he's talking to Timothy and he's telling him these words. All scripture is inspired by God. Let's break that down. What is he referring to? What was the book that would be called scripture that Paul is referring to Timothy about? The only book they had. And it wasn't one book. It was a bunch of different scrolls. So when you go to synagogue, you would grab a scroll and open it up. And they eventually put all these scrolls together into one big scroll. And they would, you know, on scroll literally like a long strip that would be rolled up on a spindle and it would be stored in a special place in the synagogue and every synagogue would be honored to have a Torah which is the five for, uh, the five books of Moses in their possession that they would read from so when Jesus went into the synagogue when we read about it in the gospel it says that on that day Jesus went to the synagogue and it was his turn to read the portion of scripture of that time of that week So he went into the synagogue and they handed him the scroll of the book of Isaiah. So it was a scroll and it would be rolled up on one side and it would have another spindle on the other and they would basically turn to move it along to get from one page to the next. So when he's referring here to all scripture, he's talking about the body of scripture that was handed over the generations. So now this now in the first century, when he's referring to all scripture, he's referring to the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament, what the Hebrew uh, Jewish people call the Tanakh, the Torah, the Nevi'im, which is the prophets, and the Ketavim, which is the writings. So the entirety of the Old Testament, from Genesis to Malachi, that 37 book series is referred to here as scripture. So if you're not reading the Old Testament, you're missing out. What does he say about this? He says that this is inspired by God. In another translation, this is the NIV of 1984. In the NIV of 2011, it reads this way. All scripture is God-breathed. In other words, it is through the breath of God. If you happen to have an Armenian Bible, on the front of it, it says, Astvadza Shunch. 
That's what the, the Bible is called, which literally means the breath of God. So Armenians have this recognition of this reality that Bible is not just inspired. You know, you can write a poem inspired by the girl that you love, right? But that's not inspired. Uh, the Bible is not inspired. It's a lot more than that. It is breathed by God. In other words, it is moved by the Spirit of God who has moved through the authors that have penned it. But he has given them the opportunity and the freedom to also intermix within their own writing, their own character. So when we read the five books of Moses, the five books of Moses have within them the nature and the character and the mindset of Moses who was raised as an Egyptian prince, a son of a slave woman in, in Egypt, and a, a Jewish slave woman that did not want to kill her baby as the decree of the Pharaoh was. She handed him into a basket and put him into the river Nile and it was picked up by the daughter of Pharaoh or the sister of Pharaoh later when the generations changed. And he was raised in the courts of Pharaoh. So all of that is in the back of his mind. He's, he helped a, a Jewish person that was being tortured or, or uh, abused by one of the soldiers, the Egyptian soldiers. He killed a soldier to protect the guy. And then he fled because all of that is within the back of his mind as he's, as he's writing. So when we're reading that, it's important for us to realize it is God-breathed. Yes, absolutely. It is inspired into the heart of the person. The Spirit of God is moving within them. So everything that we read in the Old Testament and in the New, the principle applies. So if God's Word is that powerful, what about it is so critical for us to understand? Because sometimes when we talk to people, they're confused that when they're reading the Old Testament, they feel that it's a different God than the God of the New Testament. Because the God of the New Testament, the picture that we have of God in the New Testament, is a father who loves us, who is gracious, who is ready to forgive our sins. And sometimes in the church, the pendulum swings so much to that, that we neglect the reverence and the holiness of God. And we allow ourselves to do our own thing, because it's daddy after all. And daddy loves us. He won't kick us out of the house. Even if we rebel and we want half his inheritance and we want to take off now, he's standing at the door waiting for us because it's daddy. But at the same time, he is God, the creator of heaven and earth, and he is the judge of all the living and the dead, and he is the God of all creation, and he is mighty, and no one can mess with him. He is holy. It's a terrible thing, it says in the scripture, to fall into the hands of the living God, for he is a consuming fire. Nothing will stand in his way. And it makes me tremble because I know myself and my own sinfulness. And even as a saved person who's in ministry and all of that, I struggle with certain things. And I come before the Lord in terror because I know that myself, I'm not worthy to stand in his presence, but for the Lamb of God. And you sang about that today. So what is it about this Lamb? What is it about this terrible not terrible as in bad, but terrifying God who is so holy that nothing can stand in his presence. What about him? And, and what he says that this scripture that is breathed by him is actually useful. It's useful. It's helpful. It's beneficial. It can help us in our life. It is useful. How many of you have a cell phone? Everybody, pretty much. 
The other day I was uh, sitting with Rob in a meeting we, we had at a coffee shop, and all of a sudden somebody's phone rings. And I was startled. Not because it rang, but because it was my mom's ringtone. Oh, okay, fine. I didn't expect that reaction. Wow. <laughs> I hadn't heard that ringtone for such a long time. The other day after my uncle passed away, we pulled up her old phone and actually played the ringtone. It was a moment for our family just to be able to hear that ringtone. But now I'm sitting in a coffee shop with Rob and all of a sudden this ringtone goes off. We all have these tools that are useful. And my mom in her old age discovered that she can actually be free from her phone at home by having a useful portable tool that she can pack in her purse and travel with and people can reach her wherever she is. It is useful. So this Bible that we have inherited over the generations is actually useful. But how often do we pull out the tool? You know, sometimes one of the most frustrating things is when you have a family member that just never keeps their phone on. You know they have a phone. You want to reach them, but they don't have it on. Right? No, I'm not talking about that. He's got it on now. He used to keep it off because he had a different plan, but his plan now covers it, and we can reach him anytime we call his cell phone. We can text him, and he's always got his phone at hand. Right? But it was difficult when... My point is, if you have a tool that is useful... And if you don't use it, guess what? It's a waste. And your life is not going to improve because of it. You might as well not have it. But God so chose to give us this tool that we call the Bible, that he breathed through different authors to give us, to, to give us something that would be useful. But useful for what? You know, this little device is useful to turn this machine on without having to climb to press the button. Right? It's useful. This keyboard is useful because it makes music and allows us to enjoy ourselves into the presence of God with musical worship. It's got a specific use. So what is the specific use of the Word of God? And that which is written down here, it's use, useful for, oh my goodness, the first one is rebuking. What? Oh, sorry, teaching. <laughs> I thought my, my whole point was just shot down the tubes. I didn't see that before. How is it? That's where we were going. It's useful for teaching, right? So you first are taught. What is the first thing that a child goes through when they're born? Learning. And who are the teachers? The parents. And what do they teach? The most basic things. Open your mouth and suck on this bottle. Whew, you thought I was going somewhere else. <laughs> but it's necessary for growth. Okay? We teach. Okay, the next thing that we teach is mama, baba, all of these different things. And then we teach how to eat. Right? It's the most basic thing. The first thing that is being taught is how to eat. And the rest of it follows. It's useful for teaching how to eat. It's breathed from God. It's useful for teaching. And then when we don't learn it right, when we don't practice it correctly we don't get punished but we get corrected right but because of our sinful nature there is a rebuking element to the word of God that goes between the teaching and the correcting because it brings us to our senses it stands as a teacher who is telling us 
you're wrong. You're wrong. And all through the time of the scripture that has been given, and this is only after the fall, the word of God had no rebuking element in it ever before the fall. It was the word of God that was spoken to Adam, go forth and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have authority over all the animals and don't eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. There was no rebuke in that. For the day you will eat of it, you will die. That was the word of God at that moment. The entire revelation that God gave to humanity before the fall was that you are responsible for this planet. Every plant and every animal will produce according to its kind. And you are my delegated authority to make this thing work well to get to the end. Rule it. But sin came in. We talked about that last week with Eve being deceived, right? The deception that came in. So when the deception is there, and we are bumped off of our track, the Word of God now becomes a rebuker. And a corrector. And then a coach. It coaches us in righteousness. It trains us in righteousness. It challenges us to strengthen our muscles even more in righteousness. It leads us into the paths of righteousness. So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. That's what Paul was telling Timothy. Focus on the word of God. Yes, you have the spirit of revelation. There's a spirit that is in you. And you have been given spiritual gifts by the laying on of hands. Stir them up constantly, he tells them. That the spirit of God would be alive in you, moving you with revelation from one glory to the other, from one faith to the other faith, but be founded and rooted in the word of God so that you can be fully equipped for every good work so that you can... Do the things that God has asked you to do. After sin, God shows up. And this is the beauty that I really love the book of Genesis for. Every detail is right there. Adam and Eve get deceived, get tempted, they fall. They've eaten from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. God shows up. He taught them what to do. And he's now talking to them. He's saying, what happened here? Where are you? Adam goes and hides. When he shows up, the first thing he says is the woman that you gave me. Now he doesn't take responsibility for his own actions. Starts the blame game that has affected all of humanity. So we have inherited the same DNA as Adam, our father. Because in him is the seed of all humanity. You with me so far? Let me repeat that. Adam, our our great-great-great-grandfather, in him is the seed of all humanity. So we've all inherited his nature from that moment on. But God comes along, talks to him, tells him, what have you done? And he's now going to correct him and train him. He taught him. Now he's rebuking him. What have you done? And then the woman you gave me. And the woman says, it wasn't my fault. He deceived me. The serpent told me that this plant or this fruit of this tree is so beautiful. It's good for gaining wisdom. It's what? Useful. She was deceived into thinking the tree of knowledge is fruit is useful. When God warned them not to eat of it, because the day they eat of it, they will die. 
So God comes along, speaks to the serpent, and he says to him these words. In Genesis, or in, in Genesis, he says these words. I will put enmity between you and the woman. And the seed of the woman will crush your head. And from right there, the promise of Messiah has been set forth. From right that moment, when God spoke these words, when he released the words that the seed of the woman... Now, I finished telling you that Adam in him was the seed of all humanity. Everything reproduces according to its own kind. Everything has life within it. The plants have seed in them that produce. The fruit has seed in it that produces. The animals have seed in them that produce. The seed is in the male and the human species. But the seed of the woman is going to crush the head of the serpent. Right there he says that this Messiah, this anointed one, in other words, the one that is going to come and bring salvation is not from the seed of Adam. He's from a different seed. And that seed is going to be born into the womb of, of the woman. And he will crush the head of the serpent. He is talking about a Messiah that is not born out of a human father. He is talking about a Messiah that he will impregnate Eve's descendant women. One of them will have a new life in her that is not from human source. Right there, he promises the Lamb of God that will take away the sin of the world. Right there, God made this promise that if you believe this, from this moment, you will be saved. And he sets it into motion, and he actually demonstrates it by coming up to Adam and Eve and bringing animal skin and clothing them with him, with the, with the lamb skin. I don't have that scripture on the screen, but you know what I'm talking about. After they finished the conversation, when they had discovered that they were naked, God clothed, they had fig leaves that they sewed together. God takes away the fig leaves and puts on the animal skin. Where did the animal skin come from? Did he have an inventory of animal skin rolls? Did he create animal skins just for that purpose? No. The animal skin came from an animal that he sacrificed to clothe them with. And the promise was set in motion from that day forth. So for generations, people looked back at that promise of the animal skin. For generations, they looked back to the promise of the seed of the woman that will crush the head of the serpent. From that moment, everyone who believed, believed in that. When we think of Abraham as the father of our faith, sometimes we make the mistake into thinking that God, that Abraham believed that there is a God. That he was a monotheistic person. He believed that there's but one God in a culture that had many gods. That's true. But what he really believed, and you read this in chapter 11 of Hebrews, is that Abraham believed and was counted righteousness, and he left his father's house, and he traveled to the land of promise. And then when God tested him to sacrifice his one and only son, he took him and sacrificed him. Why? Because he believed that God would be a God who could raise him up from the dead. Why? Why? Because the animal skin promises that. 
Because all through the Old Testament, the theme of the animal who was killed for the animal's skin to be given is discovered all through the stories of the Old Testament. The story of the sacrifice of Cain and Abel. The one brought animal sacrifice from his flock and the other brought plant sacrifice from his garden. One was accepted, one was not. Jealousy sets in, he kills his brother. Abel is killed. Cain brought the, 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 animal, the, the fruit sacrifice, Abel had brought the lamb. We see this thread right through history. We cannot continue to walk our walk without having a solid foundation in the Old Testament that gives us the roots of everything that we believe. So when you d- discover that now you have been grafted into the family of Abraham, by faith you have become children of Abraham, I'm talking, and the scriptures, more importantly, the scripture is talking about you and I being grafted into that line of faith. That we believe that there is a sacrifice that God is bringing into humanity that was not born from the DNA that is broken in Adam's lineage, but is a different DNA altogether. It's a godly, divine DNA that God puts into a woman's womb and she gets pregnant, Mary, and we celebrate at Christmas time. And now he is born, he is raised, he is walking, he's being taught, he's being taught by scripture. He doesn't need to be rebuked because he's grown in in the same house as God, his father, and, and he himself is God. And he is not needing correction because he is perfect in all his ways. He's sinless and he is being trained in righteousness through that word by obeying that word with the choice of not obeying it. Did you know that Jesus had a choice not to obey the word? But he chose to always obey the word. And he was faithful in all things. He comes to John the Baptist. Next week we're going to have a baptism. He comes to John the Baptist and says, baptize me. And John was preaching what? Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Why? Realign yourself with the faith of your fathers. Realign yourself to the authority of God, who is God as not only creator, not only a friend of Abraham... Not only the one who walked with David and Enoch and all these others, but the judge of all things. Realign yourselves into that kingdom. And now that you've realigned yourself, oh my goodness, look who's coming. Jesus is coming. What does John say? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It's back to Genesis. What John sees in John chapter 1. What he sees and he declares to all of us when he sees Jesus coming towards him. He says, this is the man who I spoke about whose shoelaces I'm not worthy to untie. He is the one that will baptize you with spirit and with fire. And Jesus comes to John and says, John, baptize me. He says, far be it. You should be baptizing me. He goes, no, baptize me. Because now as the seed of the woman and as the son of man, I need to fulfill all righteousness and walk through the same waters of baptism as my great-grandfather Abraham walked through when he became known as the Hebrew, the water crosser. Why am I telling you all this? Sounds like just me taking time to teach on Old Testament. But there's a practical expression to this. And the practical expression is the functionality of our faith being rooted in the reality of the Word of God and functioning from there. We are called to holiness. We are called to being a separate people from the rest of the world. Not to look different for the sake of separateness, 
But to recognize that we are all sinners, and Rob has been doing a phenomenal job over the last number of weeks talking to us about how to evangelize in the gifting that we are functioning and and the function that we walk in. How do we not become bent out of shape to, to share the gospel in a specific way, but just do it naturally to where we are? And what is the gospel? The gospel is that God himself sent his son, the Lamb of God, to take away the whole world's sin. That's what we need to focus on. That the promise from the very beginning to Adam and Eve has been fulfilled. That all through the time between the fall and that conversation in the garden, right up until his birth and his death and resurrection, all the believers in that period that is written about, that are written about in Hebrews 11, just as highlights, all those individuals had faith in that promise. That the Messiah is going to come through the seed of the woman God is going to do this. And the Jews today still believe that the Messiah is to come, but hasn't already come. And they're looking forward to the era where the kingdom of God is established on the earth and perfection is there. That day will come. But they have missed the dip in the valley that says that he's going to first come as a Messiah who suffers and dies for his sins, for the sins of the the world. He's going to be the Messiah who takes away the sins of the world. And that's what the promise to Abraham was. That's the promise to Adam and Eve was. That the head of the serpent, the one who is the deceiver, and he is constantly at work to deceive every one of us. Many different tricks, many different smokes and mirrors. He is constantly trying to deceive us. But the promise of God is faithful. He will send, back then he was saying, I will send the deliverer. He has sent the deliverer. And we are witnesses of that life that this Deliverer gives us by the indwelling and the filling of His Spirit constantly in our lives. And that's our testimony. That's what the Gospel is. Look at my life and what has happened in my life. Look at me as a model for you to understand. I'm not saying me alone, but all of us. Look at us as the children of God and what God has done in us by His grace. And the Lord gives us grace, He gives us words, He gives us power, He gives us miracles, and He gives us signs that we can give to people. And all of this pointing back to the reality that His promise is faithful and that His Messiah, His Son, has come to save the world. I have come to restore all that was lost. And that was lost. Humanity's essence was lost. Humanity's destiny was lost. Humanity's Peace was lost, but he has given us that now. So everything that we do here, everything that all of these 109 positions, the 59 people that are serving, all of us together, everything that we're doing is for one purpose only. And that's the purpose of the whole church, that we experience the reality of the presence of God in our lives personally. Not just an intellectual understanding of what we believe, but a personal encounter and experience constantly with the seed of the woman that has crushed the head of the serpent once and for all on the cross and in his resurrection, now that person in his authority can live in you. Does that mean all your prayers are going to be answered the way you want? Not necessarily. It will take a process because the word of God is good for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training to the righteousness of God being fulfilled in us. So I want to encourage you. doesn't matter where you are in your journey so far. You have, may have had disappointments. I love it. I love the song that we were singing. I thought it was surrounded by the enemy. 
but I'm actually surrounded by you. So it doesn't matter what you're going through. Look past it. Of course it matters. I'm not trying to belittle what we're going through. Each of us is going through some hard things, painful things, life-damaging things sometimes. It doesn't change the fact that God loves us and he has given us everything that we need for life and for holiness. And he has given it to us in the form of a very simple lamb, a lamb that is perfect in all ways, a lamb who's ready to die to give us the skin off his back, literally, that we would be clothed in righteousness. He has done all of that for us. He has breathed his word and given it to us. And it's for us now to embrace it, to eat it, to chew it, to digest it, to allow it to become part of who we are so that we are realigned correctly with him. So I'm going to pray a blessing over us now before we finish and go downstairs. The reality of the word of God is eternal. The principles that we see in the word of God of sowing and reaping stand to this day. When we have communion, we're reminding ourselves that we are eating this lamb. Behold the Lamb of God that died to take away the sins of the earth and the world. The, sh- the shed blood of the Lamb of God. And God gives them types and, and pictures in all of the Old Testament of what they had to do with the law. They had to go to the temple. They had to bring a sacrifice animal, put their hands on it to transfer their sin to the animal. The priest would take the animal, kill the animal take the skin away. They would use the skin for other things. They would burn part of the animal. They would eat part of the animal. They would sprinkle the blood of the animal everywhere on the altar. All of these rituals point to one thing, that we are incapable of saving ourselves and we need His grace to be able to do that. And He has provided it in the seed of the woman, not from human existence, not from the Adamic line, but from the divine line He has given to to us. So let's stand. And I will close with this. Father, we thank you for the richness of your word and the gift of your word. We thank you, Lord, that you have given us all that we need. Lord, many times we get distracted by our circumstances. Sometimes they're so painful, Lord. Sometimes they're so difficult. Sometimes we are so confused. Sometimes we wonder if you're really even there. But in the midst of all of it, you are faithful and you are true. The complexity and the existence of our human bodies speaks of your presence and of your glory. You are faithful in all your ways. And you have made promises from the beginning. And you have fulfilled the promise, these promises all through history. So, Lord, with John, we echo the words, Behold the Lamb of God. And we say, Lord, may the power of that Lamb be functional in our lives daily. May we see the authority of that Lamb throughout our existence on a daily basis. We thank you. We bless you. We ask for you to pour your blood over us and cleanse us again. We ask for you to pour your spirit over us and fill us again. 
We ask for you to continue your work among us as you promised you would. And we say to you, Lord, have your way. Have your way in us. Have your way through us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.